forgiveness. And she really explained to me, like I'm sitting in a dungeon and the people that I'm holding a grudge against are in the other side of the cell and they might have earned their place there. They might deserve to be there. They're on the other side of the cell and I am sitting there free but I have to guard the cell. I have to make sure that they can get out, that nobody extends grace to them, that nobody allows them freedom. And everybody that passes by, I have to tell them why they are there, why I'm here, why I'm sitting in this dungeon on my uncomfortable stool. And everybody that passes by, I have to, I have to make sure they know that. Hey there, this is the Mandy Made Podcast. I'm your host, Mandy. As I share, I pray you will be able to connect with others, obtain new tools and resources, as well as resonate with the stories shared by others as you listen. Let's get started. In this season of the podcast, we are narrowing our focus to triggers, trials, and trauma. And for this episode, I have invited my friend Megan to share. Megan Bottom is an author, speaker, and a blended family marriage coach. She and her husband, Dwayne, reside in Central Texas, but her gypsy soul is calling her to travel full-time in an RV. Can't say that I blame her. Megan and Duane host several retreats per year, offer hope through their online courses, and their YouTube channel is full of encouragement and life-giving testimonies. Plus, she speaks to large events and churches about finding hope. Welcome, Megan. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I so need to update my bio. I actually reside in Nevada now. I'm in Northern Nevada and we're in our fifth wheel full time. So our gypsy souls are kind of making it there. (laughs) I am so happy for you. I would love for you to share just a few things that you are passionate about. Well, you, you hit up on a lot of them. I am very passionate about marriage. Um, my husband and I are in a blended family. And because of that, I have really taken a role in the blended family marriage realm, I guess you could say. And I absolutely love it. I, I think that, and one of my favorite quotes is that marriage is a powerful evangelistic weapon. And when done right, we use that as a tool to evangelize. Our marriage is supposed to reflect what... Christ is to his church. And I think that a lot of people get that wrong. And I love opening eyes to be able to get to the point where it can become an effective weapon in evangelism. I a hundred percent agree. I did not grow up learning and seeing that. And so now understanding it and working hard to be that witness and break generational curses and do things different has been one of the hardest things I've ever done, but also so incredibly rewarding as I grow closer to God, but also my husband and how he has become my best friend, even though I thought he was my best friend when I married him. I did not understand the picture God painted when, when he designed marriage, I had no idea. So it's just been this big adventure. You are a blended family. I would love for you to share a little bit more about the dynamics of your family. My family is crazy. So um, I have three kids and my husband has three kids. So we have um, our oldest five range in age from, I think, hold on. I think Hannah just turned 23 in January. So 23 to 20 are, we have five kids ages 23 through 20. And then our baby who's coming along, she's 16. So she's the only one really that that's still in the house that we deal with custody schedules and things like that with. We've been married for 12 years. So if you do that math, when we got married, we had five kids between the ages of 12 and nine. And it was insane. 
we deal with two different custody schedules, two different houses. Well, I guess there's three, including ours. My ex-husband has been remarried. And so they had a stepmom. My kids had a stepmom and it's just been, it's been a journey. And it's funny because the church itself, like we wanted to do this marriage, right? Our kids have by nature have already seen a failed marriage. And yes, we fail. Yes, we miss that that mark almost every day. But our kids still see us fail and then come back together. They still see us make the mistakes and then extend grace. They still see us fight and fight for each other and not against each other and do everything that we've done. And, And it's all for them. And we're seeing the fruits of that now. My oldest daughter, my oldest daughter is married and they're coming up on their fourth wedding anniversary in July. And my daughter just, she told me today, she said, it feels like it just went like nothing. Then I think about it and we have like a lifetime together. And I love that, like, by the time I was married to her dad for four years, I was already already ready to sign the divorce papers, but that's like not even an option for her. So yes, like you said, fighting those generational curses and not growing up with that example. While my parents are still married, they're not um, believers and they didn't show us how that marriage is supposed to work. So to be able to show now to my kids what it's supposed to look like and break those generational curses, it's just been amazing to see the fruit of that. It's so beautiful that you are able to see the fruit of that. Think about where we started. You know, we had a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and then got married and I got pregnant right away. And just being in... (laughs) the trenches of it all and thinking where we were then and what we've battled and overcome to be where we are now. I, I wouldn't believe it. The things that we have prayed for and we have been blessed with is beyond my wildest dreams. And I never imagined. I also cannot imagine having a child married and also one in high school. Wow. You I'm sure have experienced it all and everything in between. Yes, for sure. Between the six kids, there's nothing they haven't thrown at us that we are not prepared for. We were joking. We have a family chat text stream with all eight of us in there. And we were joking the other day about which kid was which, like which one was the filmmaker and which one was this and which one taught us this lesson. And they're like, they're like tagging each other like, oh, that was totally at so and so like they know they totally know. (laughs) Oh, I love that you guys are so close enough to be in a group chat text message yeah Yeah. Yeah. and it's funny because we're all scattered and it's our fault because we're like I said I have such a gypsy soul but we're all scattered all over the place we have one in Iowa two in Nebraska one in Utah one in Nevada and one in California so we're like all over the place and we just love it we wouldn't want it any other way well you already touched a little bit on this but and but being a blended family is hard it is one of the hardest things I've ever done and are you willing to share your most difficult trial or trigger or a situation that left a lot of hurts that you had to navigate and heal and overcome? The biggest thing for me coming into our marriage was, this is just bearing it all, but I guess I've done it several times. I came into our marriage with a very bitter heart. I hadn't gone through the hard work of forgiveness with my um, past And not necessarily my kids' dad. We actually had a pretty amicable divorce. But in between my current husband and my kids' dad, I was in a pretty abusive relationship. And yeah, there were issues with my kids' dad that, that, you know, when when you break a marriage bond, there's going to be hurt no matter how amicable it is. 
trying to now co-parent with a woman that I honestly don't know and everything that I've heard about her, I don't like. <laughs> and so automatically I'm, I'm bitter about that. And there was such this bitterness that everything that happened to me or happened in our family or happened around me, I saw through this lens of hurt and trauma and all of these things, because I hadn't done the work to get rid of that, to be able to see from this lens of grace and forgiveness, like we're supposed to. And that was my biggest challenge and mistake coming into our blended family. And it's so obvious to me now, like, you know, they always say hindsight is twenty twenty. It's so obvious to me now what the big problems in our marriage were early on. Trying to set boundaries from a place of unforgiveness, you're just setting yourself up for hurt and failure and, and not from a point of grace and forgiveness and protection, which is what boundaries, boundaries are supposed to be. And that was probably the biggest mistake that I made. I think it's, I think that's really common. I think a lot of people do that. And, you know, now that you've mentioned it, I, the bitterness that I brought into our marriage, I didn't even know was bitterness because I had like buried it so deep, so deep. I don't even know if it affected my first marriage because it was like down in the cracks of my heart. When I finally had that safe relationship with Anthony and I was able to be vulnerable with him, there were parts of my heart I discovered and I was like, where is this coming from? And you're right. It's really hard to set boundaries when you come from a place of unforgiveness. It's really hard to give grace and empathize and like meet people where they're at when you're wrestling with that bitterness first. And as I worked through it, I realized like it was a trauma response on my part because of what had happened in my past. I was trying to survive. And so that's why I buried it down deep. Then when it came to the surface and I started to sort through it, I was like, Ooh, don't really want to work through that. That does not look like fun part. Mandy, let's not do that. But I knew I needed to do it because you're right. My, I want to do this marriage differently. I want my kids to see something else. I want them to see us united. I want to be able to extend grace and empathy and compassion to the co-parents that we have because my children love them and they go over there. I, w- I want that. You hit on a really important thing. Unforgiveness very often will come from a point of trauma. I think that trauma has become such a hot trigger word right now. And I love that you're using it in this, in this, in this season of your podcast, but it really has become this big, this big trigger word. And I think that a lot of people think trauma needs trauma equals like blood or bruises or, you know, all of this stuff. But the truth is that a lot of times trauma can, is more mental than it is physical. Having to overcome mental trauma, I think to a certain extent is harder than overcoming physical trauma because you can bury that broken bones will eventually heal and you can walk without a limp or bruises eventually go away that you can quit hiding. But when you bury the, the emotional trauma that just is there, it's like a Paul calls it a thorn in his side. And it's just this uncomfortable thing that is always, you're, you're always looking at every life event through these lens, but you don't know that it's there because you've buried it so much. So that's one of the very first things that I do when I'm coaching a couple or an individual on how to move forward in their blended family when they feel stuck is we go through, what are you holding on to that it's time to let go of? And, you know, and that's hard work. Like I compare it to a chisel going into a heart and just like chiseling away at the, 
and, and it hurts. <laughs> like it, it's hard. And, and so many people avoid it because it, it is hard work. Yes. And because I know you and I know your heart, I know that you don't mean to say that like physical abuse or physical trauma is small and not worthy because it is, it is something big that does need space. But we, you're right. We're talking about the trauma that gets brushed under the rug that we don't talk about that no one says is trauma. When someone was like, Mandy, have you ever worked through your unresolved trauma? And I was like, I don't have trauma. But trauma sounded scary to me. And no, I don't have any unresolved experiences. I don't have trauma, but no, I do. And these can be really big experiences or really small, but because of them, we create adaptations to survive and respond and react to avoid pain and survive. So that is exactly what I did for a really long time. When I started working through it, it wasn't fun. You're right. I love the awareness. And the conversations people are having, I don't know if people were just fit like me and willing to try something new and research something new and figure out themselves a little bit more. I know that's where I came from. I was like, where did, how, how did this happen? This is a part of me that I did not expect me to be like. So how did I get here? And that's why I started digging. And that's why I started wondering and researching and questioning, because I think a lot of especially blended families, people who have remarried again, they have experienced trauma on some sort of level, because there is a reason that relationship ended, right. whether no matter whose decision it was. Mm -hmm. And that leaves a lot of unresolved hurt, pain, for sure. And I thank you for cleaning that up for me. I did not mean that physical violence was acceptable or in any way worse or better than, than the emotional trauma that you have. But the fact is that if you've experienced physical violence, the wounds have healed, I hope the wounds have healed and the bruises are gone and the broken bones are, are gone, but it's the emotional trauma now that, that is so easy to hide and so easy to bury. So yeah. I thank you for cleaning that up for me. Cause I did not intend to shortchange anybody that's experienced yeah. physical trauma in any way. And I don't think you did. I just wanted to make sure that it was crystal clear. But you're right. When I was physically hurt by someone, it was hard to go to someone else who was safe to be like, this is what happened to me. But it was easier because it was right there. Mm -hmm. Whereas thinking back and going through my unresolved experiences to have closure and resolution and work through it, it's a lot because it's just me and my experience. Right it's hard for me to accept it and validate it. I think that you were clear. I just want to make sure that we are. <laughs> no, you're right. And, and I needed to clear that up as well, because I, I did not mean, mean to invalidate anybody's trauma. And, and especially if it's physical, I mean, nobody should be hurt yeah. anyway, in okay. any way. Shape, or form. Thank you for your vulnerability. Along with that bitterness, like I think that it covers trials that you faced. It's co covered triggers. I know that when I was in a bitter season, it was so easy to respond in anger or respond in bitterness. Right. Or, especially in co-parenting. Right. Then unfortunately, like my spouse gets the short end of the stick that has to juggle all of this. Mm hmm. Yeah, I've literally written a book on it because I, I we did it. We went through it. And the very first chapter I talk about, this is, it, so Nana's Pearls, Finding Hope in Your Blended Family Marriage. It's a fictional story 
relating to how to find hope in your blended family marriage. But the very first chapter I talk about, the main character is, is on something with, with the oldest stepdaughter and, and something goes wrong. And I, I hoped to portray like, because that one thing went wrong, all of this anger that the main character was experiencing and how she was taking it out on everybody and woe is her. I hope to, to portray like how that literally, it's like putting on, you know, we always say rose colored glasses, somebody, it, it's like putting on these dark glasses and everything that you see is, is hard and against you and, and there's no grace, there's no, there's no room for that. That is so true. I'm going to remember that when I am in a place where I recognize my triggers, I'm going to remember that analogy that you gave with the glasses, because sometimes I do, I have to tell myself, I'm trying to think of an example, because I had a really good day. So, <laughs> but sometimes I have to say, you know, I am the mom that these children need. God right. chose me to be their mom. I am the perfect mom for them because sometimes I get caught up in that compa- comparison that is an easy place to get triggered to that I need to be different. And it's like, no, I am the perfect mom for them. So I need to remember that with the glasses analogy. I'm glad that you mentioned your book. One of my favorite chapters was everything you do matters. It's chapter four. Yeah. I think it is perfect for this episode. Now that we've been talking, I didn't know it was going to be perfect. Totally a God thing. Um, But one of the questions you asked at the end of it is what repercussions are you still seeing from decisions made in prior relationships or marriages? Statistics show that children who come from a divorced family have a higher chance of divorce themselves. What can you do for your children and your family to show the importance of every decision made? I love the questions that you've put at the end of each chapter, you know, even though this is a fictional story, I think so many people can relate to it, but also in a lighthearted way, because you didn't write it from a place where it's this person's fault, it's this person's fault, this is what we went through. And there's a lot of moments full of joy too. So I love the discussion questions that you put at the end. And when you were coming up with these questions, can you think of any that you put in the book because you struggled with them or it was maybe hard to answer? Oh, probably every single one of them. And I'm just, just a moment of, of honesty. I wrote that book in 2018. My goodness, where has time gone? And I worked on all of 2019 to get it published. And then it was supposed to launch March of 2020, along with COVID. I feel like I I honestly don't remember the questions. You know, I I don't remember them verbatim and how they all came up. I had to do a fictional story because number one, I've always said, if I do anything in my ministry that cannot minister to the co-parents that I'm parenting with, so my ex-husband or my husband's ex-wife, if I can't minister to them, if I lose my witness to them, I've failed. And I knew that if I wrote it from my standpoint, there would be things in there that would hurt them, that would, that would offend them, that would, can you imagine if your ex-husband wrote a book about your guys' experience? Like, it would be impossible for you not to be offended. And I knew that writing that book, I had to still be able to witness to them in, in whatever way, shape, or form they would allow if I, if I offended them, I would lose that completely. I would lose that ability. So I did it from a fictional standpoint, but every single story, every single question is questions that I've had to wrestle with myself. That idea of everything that you do matters. I, to be honest, I had an aunt hang out with my ex-husband. He went, she went to like his new wife's 
barbecue and hung out with my kids and my kids are calling me like I hung out with Aunt Linda like this is my favorite aunt growing up how dare she do that like are you kidding me and I even made it always makes me laugh when it shows up on my Facebook memories because I made this Facebook post like you think that family will always be there for you and on and on because I was so mad and so bitter but I didn't take into consideration how blessed I am that my extended family loved my husband my extended family loves my kids. That didn't even occur to me because I was so mad that, but everything that we do affects so many people around us that, you know, how I was married to that man for seven years and we had three beautiful children together. How dare I expect everybody else to hate him just because I divorced him. You brought up a beautiful point because, you know, you're in this place of bitterness, but everyone else, some people are going to see it, right? Some people are going to see, oh, she's kind of like a porcupine, all her prickers out, like stay away from her. But sometimes you just wrestle with it really good and a lot of people don't see it. And so they're living their life and they're going to events and they're seeing your kids and they have no idea that you're over there being, how dare she? Right. (laughs) Right. And that's how I was. But honestly, like how many families, my aunt still was good enough friends with my kids' father that she wasn't going to lose a relationship with my kids no matter what happened between us. How blessed am I for that? Like, that's an amazing blessing. But at the time I was just so mad. Like, this is none of your business. My kids are none of your business. My ex-husband is none of, what are you doing? Like, how dare you? But everything is their business. Mm-hmm. everything. And, and it's amazing to me now. And, and I've always, I, I keep going back to what it's like to have adult children. Like they have this whole other life that doesn't involve me. And that's a really, really weird place to be in. But I have to trust that everything that I did and all the examples that I set and Jesus more than anything else and the Holy Spirit guiding them is going to be enough for them. But they know now, because of what they've watched us walk through, how much a divorce is going to affect their kids, how much everything that they've done is going to affect all of those around them. And I think that that's so important. And that's why I asked that, like, what can you do to teach your children? Every decision that you make matters. And it matters to a whole lot of people. A whole lot of people. Yes, absolutely. I'm thankful that you can see that it's a blessing. I'm sure that the day of your kids calling you being like, she was here, we had so much fun. You were like, what? I can totally wrestle with those feelings and understand how you're feeling. But then to come to the realization that, wow, this is a blessing. This is a blessing. I'm so glad that you can see that that is a blessing. Our kids in our co-parenting relationships, they're just not there. But I will say that I am friends with my daughter's dad's mom still. We're on texting terms and invite her to different things. I try to be respectful as well because I want to make sure that I'm not crossing any boundaries. I'm not stepping on toes. I'm not stirring the pot. But I also want to make sure that the people that want to be involved in my daughter's life, I want to give them the opportunities to make sure that they're there because it's about the kids. It's my kids' lives. And I'm just, right now, I just feel like a chauffeur and (laughs) the giver of the snacks. But I know that it's so much more than that. And that the people that pour into them and love them is important. 
Absolutely. And, and years from now, you know, when, when you're sitting in, in your daughter's 22 and she can come back to you and say, thank you so much for giving that relationship to me with my, with my grandma. And, and that's something else that I, I often will coach um, blended families to do when it's an uncomfortable relationship, always go back to the relationship with the kids. So as an example, I'm still pretty good friends with my sister-in-law is how she would be referred to if she's relating to me, but how I always refer to her and I introduce her and I always say, this is my kids' aunt, because that's the relationship that's important. That's why I'm working on it. It has, no, it has nothing to do with my ex-sister-in-law. I mean, it's my ex-husband's sister. Like there's so many things that you could say there, but the important thing is this is my kids' aunt. These are my kids' cousins. Like this is, this is the relationship here. And, and I think that that, that will, sh- that one small decision will show your kids how important they are to your relationship. I think that's huge actually is, just the way you word things and you phrase things is so important. I try to always refer to my ex-husband as my daughter's dad Yes, because he's not mine anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But he is my daughter's dad. And so I always try to say that, especially when I'm talking in front of her because I want her to know he is hers and I just want her to feel that. And so you're right that just the way you phrase things and refer to people is huge. And your kids will see that your kids will be blessed from that because they'll under that, that shows them they are the center that shows them that they are important. You know, another myth in blended families is that it all gets so much easier when the kids turn 18, because then you don't have to worry about custody schedules. Well, the truth is then you have weddings and graduations and grandbabies and all of these other things that you have to deal with. And when you're in those other events, if you've, again, if you can just keep it about the kids, you know, my kids' aunt and uncle were there, which is like my, if if I'm going to put it in terms, it's my husband's ex's sister and brother-in-law like weird like but no it's my kids aunt and uncle like what am I you know why would I why would I go there but so often blended families are tempted to and what that again is is they do have animosity still and it feels so much better to say oh that's the ex's family or you know like that's that dig and but that again that's not bringing it back to the kids which is where the only thing that's important anymore is their relationship to the children yes love that what are three things that have set you and your family up for success, especially when you were navigating through that bitterness and that unforgiveness? What helped you through it? I think the biggest thing for Dwayne and I, the, the number one thing, and I'll, I'll think of three, but the number one thing is that we just made up our mind that divorce wasn't an option. And we can talk now about the ugly years and the ugly seasons that we've been through and joke about it kind of. I'm so thankful that we that you never said it's over or like, I'm going to buy you a one-way ticket back to your family or any of the other things that we wanted to say, because I probably would have jumped onto that airplane with that one-way ticket and not looked back. But we just knew from the beginning that that just wasn't even an option. That was not even in our vocabulary. So even when I literally had a pastor tell me, I truly don't know how to help you. And I love this pastor. I absolutely adore him. And he's one of my spiritual mentors, but those were his words to me because he said, typically, if there's an issue with somebody from the opposite sex in the marriage, I counsel to just get rid of that person from the opposite sex. But when that's the kids' mom, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I truly don't know how to help you in this situation. (laughs) And I, I, it would have been so easy to say, okay, well, pastors don't even know what to do with me. I quit. Like, I don't even know how to handle this. But it wasn't an option for us. We, we couldn't quit not only on each other, but on our kids. 
we couldn't do that again to our children. And, and when you make it about something besides you in the moment, it saves when, when you're constantly, when you're constantly concentrated on yourself, it's so easy to not think about that. Like you said, in that chapter, that every decision you make matters, but it matters to your children. And, and that's, that was the number one thing is from the beginning, quitting was not an option. We've got to figure this out. Even if pastors can't help us, even if whatever, we've got to figure this out. So that was probably the number one thing. And then the second thing, and I preach this all the time is that marriage is first. Our marriage covenant is, is the only covenanted relationship that we're on in this side of heaven. It is, we don't make a covenant to our children. We love our children. They're a part of us. They are a piece of us, but we don't covenant. We aren't covenanted to them. We haven't stood before God and everybody and said vows to our children. And if anything, we should have surrendered our children and dedicated our children to God and not vowed to them and knowing the importance of that covenant and putting our marriage first has saved our marriage in more times than I can count. We've missed volleyball games and volleyball tournaments because we have date nights on Thursday nights. And there was no exception to that. And it was more important for us to miss the game and give that example to our kids than to be on the bleachers cheering them on when we're in the bleachers six other days a week. <laughs> we, we've missed things because we put our marriage first. We've missed important things to our children because we put our marriage first. But I hope that in the end, they'll look back in their own marriage and say, no, it's okay. We don't have to put all of our heart and soul and effort into our kids 24-7. We've got to make our marriage the first priority. And I always say that with a little disclaimer, your relationship with Christ is always first. The individual relationship with Christ is always first, but the husband and wife relationship is the most important relationship in the home. Two tips that we, that we've established. Which are huge. I think with your first one that I'm going to share this because I can give it from my perspective. I know when divorce is an option for someone like me, whose trauma responses run or avoid divorce is that perfect option to be like, bye. You know, I grew up in Wisconsin and then I decided to just pack up and move to Arizona. Everyone thought I was so brave and it was so exciting. And wow, I wish I could do that. And now I'm like, well, I did that because it was a trauma response. It was an initial reaction. Get out of here. And I love my life in Arizona. My life here is so beautiful and full of amazing people. And I probably would have ended up moving anyway, but it would have been for different reasons. When divorce is an option, you know, you just get divorced and you start a new relationship and you probably have the same junk just in a new relationship. Being brave, saying, no, this isn't an option. I'm giving you all of me. I need all of you. And this is a safe place where we can grow together and we can be vulnerable. And I can sort through these things that I've never faced. My husband has created such an amazing space for me to really figure out what I went through and what I overcame. And now that I'm creating new patterns and new habits, I already appreciate it so much for him to create that space and love me through that is just like growing us closer together. It's growing me closer to God, which is basically his number one job as a spouse, that reassurance that divorce is an option because he's got my back. We're united. We have that covenant with God because of that reassurance and because of that security that divorce is not an option. I'm able to let my guard down. I'm able to face the trauma that I experienced 
head on with him holding my hand. And that's something that I never thought I would be possible. It's amazing what happens when you remove the exit strategy, when you remove the exit plan. And I think that blended families are so vulnerable to that because they always think, well, I've divorced before and I survived. I can do it again. And that's such a dangerous place to be in. Like, that's just putting neon signs around the exit bill of the door. And, you know, I always, I always joke with my husband. I think this came from a movie. Like you can go ahead and leave, but I'm coming with you. So we may as well stay here and work it out. And, and I'm joking because he's never threatened to leave because we just, we, that's just not even an option for us. That's so funny. I, my husband and I have joked that the only way out is death. So (laughs) Oh, I'm going to stalk him in heaven. He always tells me there is no marriage relationship in heaven. I'm like, oh, watch me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm coming. (laughs) That's so funny. What is a recommended resource that has been helpful for you or you would like to share that has been helpful for your family or your marriage? So many resources. The biggest one, honestly, is Dr. Cloud wrote an amazing book on boundaries and it's, it reads like a textbook. It's kind of brutal and hard to read. It's not something that you can just sit down and read and thumb through, but it's so important. And so many speakers or popular speakers, I guess you could say, and Christian influencers have jumped on the boundaries bandwagon. And I don't know if you've noticed Lisa Turkerhurst recently has really put a lot of material out on boundaries. And I think that, and in the beginning it was called hedges, like establish hedges around your relationships. And and it's the same thing and anything that you can do to establish those boundaries and hedges around your marriage. So that, that resource by Dr. Cloud. And then, then I don't remember the name of the book now, but Lisa Turkhurst just came out with a boundaries book as well. That's very important. And it talks about how we have different types of intimate relationships and women especially want all of our intimate relationships to be at a 10. Like my BFF is a 10 and my husband's a 10 and the lady that I always sit next to at church, she's a 10 too. But it's so important to put boundaries around those relationships and know that they're sacred boundaries for sacred relationships. You're right. It doesn't have to be that way. Sacred relationships need sacred boundaries. And I'm learning that and navigating that. Who are my people? Who is my community? Who is really life-giving to our kids and our marriage and our family in the future? And that is hard. I don't know the book. I do know Dr. Cloud's book, Boundaries, but I don't know the second one that you're, I can't think of the name of the second book that I can't either. And, and I wish that I had it with me and I would hold it up for everybody to see, but we're not going to be on video. So that would be useless, but, um, I don't have it either. And, um, to be honest with you, I haven't even read it. I watched Lisa speak on boundaries and I was just blown away. I'm like, wow, I studied boundaries for two years and she is doing such a better job than I have. How long has she been studying boundaries? But one of the things that really hit home is if we could think every relationship is a 10, and I'm just going to use an example of the lady that we sit next to at church. If we think that relationship is a 10 and we give that, that lady 10, 10, a level 10 privilege in our, into our lives, We don't put any boundaries around it. We don't put any restrictions on it. She has a level 10 privilege in her life, but she thinks we're like a three, maybe a two, like, oh yeah, that's the lady I sit next to at church. (laughs) There's so much room for friction between that level two and that level 10. And there's so much room for trauma and for like people taking advantage of you or taking advantage of the relationship. And there's so much room for friction there. And that's why it's so important that sacred relationships require sacred boundaries. And, and if you give everybody a level 10 access, you're going to continue to get hurt. You're going to continue. People are going to fail you over and over again. 
And I think that that's something that we as women are more prone to do. Like we can save everybody. Everybody loves me. Of course, come on into everything that I have. And it just sets us up for failure. It sets us up for hurt. And it not only that, but it takes away the sacredness from the true 10 relationships that we do have. Someone once told me that expectations are just future disappointments. When you are treating a friendship as a 10, but the other person is treating it as a three, like, of course, there's a lot of room. You're just like you said, for that friction and that disappointment that takes away from like the sacred relationship of, for example, your marriage. And I just need to really rest and pray to be setting those boundaries for myself so that I don't experience that same hurt and that future disappointment. Right. Boundaries are more about yourself than they are about the other person. Not more. They are always more about, they are always about yourself. And I always refer to boundaries as rules. Like if we were to put you in the middle of a soccer field and not explain the game of soccer to you, how would you win? How do you succeed? How do you, how do you score a goal? How do what do you mean? I can't touch the ball. You didn't tell me I couldn't touch the ball. And it's the same way. Like, what are the rules to play with Mandy? What are the rules for to succeed? What are the six rules to win with Mandy? It has nothing to do with whoever you're referring, whatever relationship you're referring to. It's just how to win by being Mandy's friend. And that will depend on the level of intimacy that you're you're at with that individual. You know, if the individual is a three, how do you win? Well, you say hi to me on Sunday mornings. Like that's the access that I'm gonna give you. If you wanna, if you have a prayer request at church, I'll pray for you at church. But this isn't somebody that I'm gonna be calling in the middle of the night with a prayer request because they're level three, they don't get that sacred level of um, relationship. Levi Lesko, I, I, we were talking to him about him prior to the meeting, I mean, prior to recording, but one of the things that he says, who in your circle can get into your house? Who knows your garage code, your garage door code so that they can get into your house should there be an emergency? Who has that level of access into your life? And if you think about it, that's a scary thing. Like, did I do the dishes this morning? <laughs> Are, are, is my sink overflowing? Like, are, are they going to see something in the couch that, that, that shouldn't be there? Like, like that's a very intimate thing. And not everybody in your life deserves that level of intimacy. No, and it's so true. Another thing about boundaries, though, is it can heal relationships because there is that new expectation and that keeps you safe because that's what boundaries are for. And I've seen that happen and be life-giving as well. Boundaries are so good. You touched on intimacy and it reminded me, you know, going back to our conversation about bitterness, when I struggle with bitterness, it is very hard for me to feel secure enough to be vulnerable with people that I love. You said that bitterness really affected like your first years of marriage. And you said divorce not being an option and putting your marriage first, but also boundaries, what else helped you heal to then move forward and create that intimacy in your relationship? I know this totally took a turn, but (laughs) that was a sharp, right? No, that's okay. (laughs) Intimacy for me is something that I give too easily. That's something that I was using myself as an example when I said, everybody's a 10, you have full access to everything. And we, we like wear that as a badge of honor, right? Like I have nothing to hide. It's all yours. You can have whatever you want. We wear that as like a badge of honor. But the truth is that I was giving level 10 access to everybody. And it was really through bitterness because I felt like everybody needed to hear Megan's side of the story. Everybody needed to to hear why I was justified to be so mad. Everybody needed to hear everything about me. And I went to this speaker, to this women's retreat. And again, I tell this story in my book about 
forgiveness. And she really explained to me, like I'm sitting in a dungeon and the people that I'm holding a grudge against are in the other side of the cell and they might have earned their place there. They might deserve to be there. They're on the other side of the cell and I am sitting there free but I have to guard the cell. I have to make sure that they can get out, that nobody extends grace to them, that nobody allows them freedom. And everybody that passes by, I have to tell them why they are there, why I'm here, why I'm sitting in this dungeon on my uncomfortable stool. And everybody that passes by, I have to, I have to make sure they know that. That was how I saw intimacy. If you feel sorry for me, if you know my whole background, if you know everything about me, then we're intimate, then we're good. And the truth is none of that really matters. It's all been covered by, by the blood of Christ. It's all been covered and, and it's all been redeemed and it's all been restored, even though I don't see it yet. And none of it matters. And none of it was affecting the people that I was holding grudges against. Like none of it, none of it, nothing that I said, and I wanted it to, I wanted everybody to hate this person and not like them and, and be team Megan and not team them or whatever that means. And it was affecting my relationship with my husband, because like you said, I was giving it to everybody and nothing was sacred. Like there was no, there was nothing that was just him and I anymore because I was giving everybody access to every part of, I need to clarify right here because this could get really weird. A lot of churches, especially equate intimacy to sex. And I wasn't giving everybody access to that. (laughs) Sex is not intimacy. A healthy, intimate marriage can oftentimes lead to a healthy sex life within a marriage, but sex is not intimacy. So I wasn't giving everybody access to sex, but I absolutely was giving everybody access to intimate Megan in areas that only really Jesus should know. And if anybody needs to know, my husband can know because he's safe, but other people don't need to know that. Other people don't need that level of access. Yes. I think that when we come from a place of hurt and we want to be taken care of in a place that we weren't, it's easy to act out and try to justify the situation to try to process it and figure out how it happened and how you got there. And I've been caught up in being like, well, this is what happened. This is my side of the story, but no one needs to know that. Because that's something that I need to work out with God. God is working in my heart. No one needs to worry about that unless like I turn to someone for accountability or for mentorship or for wise counsel. But before you get to that point, it's really hard to see that. You know, I've had people come to me and say, oh, I've heard about you. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, I'm sure it's not good things. And I don't really feel the need to talk about it took a while to get to that place because that natural reaction is I want to protect myself. I don't want to feel this pain. I don't want to have to navigate this. And that's all really mature thinking. And I'm not always there. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Me either. Because I'm like, wait a minute, what was said about me? (laughs) No, Um, but it's okay. All what matters is I am doing my best to honor God and glorify him. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. That doesn't mean I've done things perfectly. I've made so many mistakes and I've also been really, really hurt. And in those moments of hurt, I've either handled it, handled it well, or I didn't. And there were either consequences to that or there weren't, but I always have to look at my heart and I have to use my Bible as a mirror, not binoculars. 
I have to open it up as a mirror to really understand myself, my role, my relationships, and then who I answer to. That's not always easy. You know, it is a lot easier to be like, I'm going to grab some popcorn. What did you hear about me? Let's have a conversation. And that doesn't always need to happen. But you are right. When you give people those intimate parts of your life, or when I have, it's because I'm looking for some sort of security or reassurance or validation. And that is showing up because of unresolved traumatic experiences that I've had in the past where I wasn't safe, where I wasn't able to process, I wasn't given the tools to be safe through it. And now that I am, and I have that level 10 relationship with my husband, where when I'm not my best self, when I am struggling in how I'm responding. He's able most of the time to like lovingly guide me back to what God says about me. I don't need that validation from anybody else. I don't need that reassurance from anybody else. Like I am secure and my worth is in Christ. And that is what matters. But it's really hard to remember that sometimes. It is really hard to remember that. And I want to, I want to warn, I don't know if warn's the right word. I want to be able to clarify that it's okay to have level 10 relationships outside of the marriage. The marriage relationship should still be the prime primary and be the priority. And I, I don't want to take from that, but I think that, that it's important. It's important to have, like you said earlier, you know, who are my people? Who's my group? Who's my, who's my go-to? Who can I go to that will lead me back to the Bible? Who can I go to that'll lead me back to the one truth? And yes, that should always be your spouse, but you should always have two or three in your corner, like have other level. I don't want to say that you can't have other level 10 relationships, but the truth is that those need to be sacred. Those need to be truly sacred relationships. And sometimes even just, and I think that this is something that we neglect in the church, the ministry of presence is so important just to sit with somebody in, in their anguish and in, in their hurt and in their, in their feelings. I, I look at the book of Job and how his friends always had to say something and always had, you know, and they kept putting their foot in their mouth and they were dead wrong. I think their hearts were in the right spot, but if, what would have happened if they would have just sat with Job? Yeah, this really sucks. You want another piece of glass to scratch your boils? <laughs> like, like, and, and I, I don't mean to be gross, but it's true. Like what would have happened if they just would have sat with him? And I think the ministry of presence is so neglected. And that's why we need to have those intimate relationships with friends that can come over and grab some popcorn with you and just sit. Don't open your mouth because if you open your mouth, you're probably going to sin or gossip or do something that's not appropriate. So let's just sit here and, and just sit here. And I think that that's something that's neglected and there's a level of intimacy there as well. And I think that we feel that with our spouse when we lay in bed with each other and have this like silly pillow talk and, you know, something that you'll never, ever re even remember or, or repeat or anything like that's just the ministry of presence. And I think that's so important and so neglected. I do too. I mean, most of the time I'm, especially with my husband, you know, he's such a fixer. He wants to fix everything. And I'm like, I just want you to be quiet and listen to me and hold me. And that's it. That's all I need from you. I agree with you. You can definitely have intimate relationships with other people. And you should because you need people in your corner that have your back, that know your garage code, that can pick up your sick kids because you're running one to the hospital. Or, you know, when I went into the labor, like I needed my people. And so I think that's why my answer probably sounded like, 
my husband is my only 10 because right now, some, most days, like he feels like it. Some of my friends have moved, which I'm so excited and happy for them. But at the same time, I'm like, you're my person <laughs> and you moved or, you know, and even if they only live like 30 minutes away, like that's still, sometimes it's just far. And so I think that's where I came from. My answer sounded like my husband is my everything. Cause most of the time right now he is because of where my friendships are at during the season. But I think that it's really hard for some people to be vulnerable with the trauma that they've endured. And now their response and reaction is to build a wall. And it's not a boundary because it just blocks everybody out. Social media doesn't help. No, at all. Our, our, our tablets and screens also don't help. Those make really good boundaries. Our tablets and screen make really good boundaries between us and those people we're supposed to be having a relationship with. But boundaries aren't supposed to come between people. And that's one of the things with boundaries is if they're not from a place of forgiveness, they're from a place of bitterness. And like you said, they become walls. And that's not how it's not. That's not effective at all. No, and I 100% agree with that. I appreciate you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. What is a piece of encouragement that you would like to share with a new blended family? Oh, that there's hope. I love talking about hope. We, we have a hope and he is the anchor of our soul. He's the only strong enough thing to anchor us to this earth, actually to anchor our souls to this earth. And that is Jesus Christ. And if we put our entire marriage and our entire hope and everything into him, you can't, you can't not succeed. Like he won't let you fail. And, and I think that there's hope there. And I want to tell anybody that's listening, that's in a blended family that doesn't have hope right now, find somebody, if it's Mandy, if it's me, I don't care who it is, but find somebody that is strong enough to hold on to your hope until you can hold on to it yourself. That is so important. And I had somebody tell me just today, I was, it's a woman that I'm counseling and working with to find some hope in her marriage. And she told me, she said, I showed, and I, I didn't use that verbiage. I, I, it just gives me so much strength when, when that's echoed back to me. And she told me, I showed my husband what you had shown, what you had given me. And I saw a glimmer of hope in his eyes. And I just keep going back to, there is hope, but there's hope there. And when you feel so hopeless, find somebody else that'll hold on to your hope for you. And, and there's, that's such an important thing to have is that person in your corner that's willing to hold on to it until you can be strong enough to hold on to it yourself. It is really, truly so encouraging because in those moments of hopelessness and desperation and loneliness and grief to be able to reach out and borrow somebody else's hope. I mean, the Bible is full of it, but if you can't even open your Bible, but you can text a friend, like borrow their hope and their encouragement until you can find your footing again. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's so important. And that that's all, I mean, I can't add anything to it. It just, there's been so many times and that I currently am holding hope for so many marriages because I believe that it's there. There's always hope. If we put our hope where it belongs, it's easy, but that's a hard thing to do. So if you can't do that right now, put your hope in somebody else that can hold on to it for you. Amen. Thank you so much for this conversation. Would you be willing to pray us out? I sure will. (sighs) 
Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you so much for this fellowship. Thank you to anybody that might be under the sound of our voices for um, leading them to this. Lord, I just hope that even if it's just one nugget that they can take from our conversation today to give them a little bit of hope, to give them something to hold on to, to give them a little bit of Jesus. I just pray that, that, that they can take that and run with it. And it becomes big hope and big strength and big Jesus in their hearts. Father, I thank you for this relationship. I thank you for this vulnerability. I thank you for the ability to be able to do podcasts, to be able to reach so many people. And I pray that anybody that hears this is blessed in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Megan. I appreciate you. You're welcome. I'm an open book and will answer any question you have. Well, eventually just hit details on this episode or find the contact me box on my website and shoot me a message. Be sure to follow on social media and hit subscribe to stay in the loop. Oh,